Hello, and welcome to the Thoughts on Money podcast, what we like to call Tom. I'm Trevor Cummings, your host of the podcast and your author of the Thoughts on Money blog. Today, I'm here to talk about an article I wrote called Financial Siblings, and I'm here with my work siblings, Leslie Ray and Sean Latimer. Hello, everyone. Hello, hello. You're going to say Happy Friday, Sean? You usually say Happy, happy Friday. Friday. <laughs> <laughs> I've been waiting. Um, so today's article, it's a fun one. Uh, the intro talked about siblings, and what I talked about is how different siblings are. We have uh, two boys, two and a half years old, nine months old, very young. You would think, hey, man, at that age, you probably couldn't see much of a difference, but they are so different. The way that they sleep, the way that they cry, their needs, uh, their personalities, their behavior, it's just absolutely different. And it made me think of me and my siblings. I'm the youngest, uh, older brother, older sister, uh, each of us about three years apart in age, and how we have different strengths and weaknesses, perspectives, opinions, all that. So to intro... I would just love to hear about your guys' siblings. We'll start with you, Leslie. I I am also the youngest of uh, three siblings. And that's I'm why we a, like each other. Yeah, that's why that's we get right. it, really, it really does make sense. We work well together. Exactly. <laughs> so I have an older brother, an older sister as well. And when you read this article, did you think, are you guys really similar? Are you guys different? How, how do you see it? We are all different. Um, my brother is more introvert. My sister is extrovert. I'm in the middle, I would say. How about you, Mr. Sean Latimer? I have two younger sisters. I'm the oldest, and we are very spread out. Um, my The middle sister is six years younger than me, and the youngest is 12 years younger than me. So it helped me grow up really fast. She's 12 years younger than you. Yeah. She's oh, a senior in college. When you guys all hang out, I wouldn't even guess there's that big of an age difference. She's very mature for her age, and it, it shows. She's going to grad school in Boston, and she's had her life planned out for the past 22 years. So, yeah, and she's she played out. soccer at Cincinnati? That was Kelly. Kelly played soccer yeah, at Cincinnati. Right. Okay, grad school for? Nikki. I know. Where she, what's she going to grad school for? Uh, occupational therapy. Okay. Got yeah. it. So, she, so you guys are different. She's really smart. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, the thing I was describing here is that uh, what bonds us together with our siblings. Wait, are we all from, yeah, three kid households, right? Yeah. yeah. So what bonds us together is that we're family. Like, even if these people frustrate us or make us mad, like, you can't change the fact that they're family. But even within that nuclear system of being a family, each one is really different. Now, when we talk to finance, there is uh, some siblings we're going to talk about in this article, and I, I call them stock price and dividends, that they are brothers or sisters, however you want to describe it, um, that they come from one family, but man, they are just so different. Uh, how did you guys feel about that analogy? I really liked it because I haven't thought of it that way, but it's true because when we describe dividends, we... I essentially use the word, they're boring. You know, they're not sexy. They're not the, the hot topic of the week or the month, but they do accomplish most investors' goals for what they're trying to uh, get done. And the other side of the coin is the drama queen, the feeling one way one day and another way another day, up and down, lots of drama. It's exciting. It's fun to talk about. That's what people talk about at cocktail parties, not that their dividends grew. Stock prices, right? Exactly. Mm -hmm. So what uh, you're describing, what we talked about in the article as being the drama queen, is that we're juxtaposing these two financial siblings right next to each other, dividends and stock prices, and we're first describing stock prices that they are the celebrity in the family, that they're on TV every day, they get all the attention, uh, they're very dramatic in the way that they behave, and we love them. Uh, they, they are the one that captures all the popularity. Like Sean said, you're not going to watch a CNBC or Fox Business and hear much about uh, a dividend growth or a company that paid a dividend, that sibling sits backstage and doesn't get a lot of attention. It's true. You even Sorry, Leslie, you go after, but even after earnings reports, 
they talk about, you know, uh, they just came out with earnings, um, year-over-year guidance, this, that, oh, and the dividend increased this much. But the stock price is up 10%, and it's like they try their best to make it as exciting as possible. Yeah, it sells its headlines. There are new things with the company, the stock price appreciated, or um, stock price is uh, decreasing of a company due to someone saying this and that on Twitter about it. And I think it was a great analogy because they are all part of both siblings are part of the total return family. And so it's a very important concept for clients and everyone else to understand. Um, I think that's a good point because I bring it up in the article specifically because I have conversations about it a lot. And this is going to sound, I feel like it's going to sound almost silly, right? Because it feels like finance 101. But I, I go back to this all the time just to tell people, hey, this equation is really important for you to understand that total return is the summation of appreciation and income. So how does that relate to today's conversation? Income is dividends. Appreciation is the change in stock prices as they can appreciate or depreciate. Why is that important? Well, if you go to somebody and you say, hey, we've built you this portfolio with some allocation to real estate, some allocation to bonds, some allocation to dividend-paying stocks, and what we expect is the yield on the portfolio will be 4%. I'm just making this up. Then what happens is sometimes people go, okay, so the expected return should be 4%. It's like, no, no, no. I understand why you're coming to that conclusion, but let me explain to you where total return comes from. It's the summation of that income, of that yield, plus what the appreciation is. So one easy way to understand it, if you're a landlord and you go out and you buy a million-dollar property and you put a renter in there that's going to pay $2,500 a month, that's $30,000 a year. $30,000 a year on a million dollars is 3%. You are not buying that property thinking that your return is going to be just 3%. Right now, you're listening to this saying, no way, because the property is also going to appreciate. That's why I bought it. And you're exactly right. So when you're trying to figure out total return as a landlord, you have to take those rents collected in a percentage term relative to how much you spent. And then you have to look at what the appreciation is. So if you go on Zillow and that million-dollar house next year is worth 1.1, you got a 10% appreciation plus 3% income. And your total return, Sean, was? I wasn't listening. 13%. <laughs> I was more thinking about what I was going to ask you. So, Trevor, you, you always do a really good job at explaining this when we're in client meetings. That um, So maybe people don't understand how stock prices go up and down and how they the company decides what to pay in dividends. So maybe it, I think most people understand that the stock price goes up and down based off of uh, the future expectations of its earnings, right? Something exciting happens in the company. They're able to sell their products in a more efficient manner, make more profits. Stock price goes up. Maybe you could break down when a company has profits and they pay it back to shareholders, how do they typically come to that decision? Yeah, so if you're at the top of a company, let's say you're the CEO or the CFO, uh, you're going to have to decide at the end of the day if all revenues come in the door and you've paid expenses, the leftovers are called profits. And that's great. We love, as a business owner, to make profits. Here's the hard part. What are you going to do with those profits? You have five things that you could possibly do with those profits. You could pay down debt. You could acquire another company, you could buy back your own stock, you could pay dividend, or you can invest back in the company, capital expenditures, things like that. That is a capital allocation decision. What we believe at the Bonson Group is that when a company chooses to pay a dividend, they are making a commitment that then they have to be prudent with their finances in the future to stick to that commitment and promise, and we think that's a really good capital allocation decision. Now, we're not going to go into all the nuances here on the podcast, but you can go read academic paperwork that shows 
look at those five decisions and what is the result for a company that chooses to pay down debt versus a company that chooses to make an acquisition. A lot of the argument would say that a mature company that goes out and starts to make a ton of acquisitions, sometimes that feeds more into the CEO's ego than it does to creating long-term value for shareholders. And that's what David Bonson wrote a book on and talks so much about is saying, hey, those dividends build long-term shareholder value. And we have a belief system that prudent and regular and systematic growth in that dividend will result in prudent, systematic growth in the stock price. That um, even though stock price wins the popularity contest when it comes to the siblings, we know deep underneath that the, uh, the stock price really looks up to the dividend. Uh, and it's kind of the big brother and kind of follows after and mimics uh, what the dividend does over time. That was good. You liked that. Yeah, you? that was way better than I expected. That was really good. <laughs> Very impressed. Oh, thank you. I didn't know. It's not I, I almost, my birthday. I almost thought you were going to be mad that I caught you off guard with the question, but no, that was good. No, I think it's a good question. And I think uh, the problem is, is since stock price takes so much air out of the room, uh, people don't really think a lot about dividends. And one of the things I put in the article is it's fun to make these jokes about being siblings and these analogies, but we can actually say this is historically factual. We used 61 years of uh, S&P 500 data to look at how stock prices have behaved. And in those 61 years, 16 times the price year over year depreciated, which means that's like more than a quarter of the time. Mm -hmm. And we know how frustrating that can be for people. And not only the frustration, but the decisions it leads people to make out of that frustration. Yeah, absolutely. We, we say it all the time. The, the idea of hoping that there's profits each year to sell to fund retirement expenses, um, I, I personally believe is a fool's errand. It, it just, the math wouldn't make sense and it can put you really at risk. And yeah, there's behavioral changes that you can make, but I don't know any client that would want to hear, hey, the market's not doing well, so you have to spend a little bit less this year. And then, you know, if there's a few years in a row of that happening, uh, that could be a really tough conversation. Right. I think it's a uh, it's the difference between stability of the dividends and having the peace of mind. And it becomes almost psychologically uh, reassuring to clients that you have that peace of mind and having that stream of income instead of being subject to the volatility of the market that, like you said, Trevor, can incur uh, irrational behavior, which, as we know, humans are irrational. And when the market goes down, everybody wants to sell out at the worst time because of fear. And that's the only thing that people can grasp and control is when they will sell that stock. But really, we can control the market. So I think there is an element also of peace of mind for our clients um, using this strategy. Yeah, so Leslie, I'm starting a business. It's going to be called ABC Company. And you're going to be my first hire. And your question to me is going to be, hey, what is going to be my pay. And you would assume that you paid every two weeks. Maybe you get paid monthly. But then I come to you and tell you, hey, I'm going to pay you depending on how the business does. Does that offer you a lot of stability or consistency? No, it's an incentive, but it needs to be coupled with some stability. Yeah, because what you would say is, hey, what if the business doesn't do good for five or six months? Exactly. How am I going to provide for my family? So this idea, it's not only, which I agree with you, it's not only just having this idea of peace of mind, of the mm -hmm. consistency, it's needed. We are wired that way. It's not that we spend money once every four years, right? Uh, we spend money every day. We spend money in a consistent manner. Our budgets, our finances have some sort of cadence to them. 
So when we look at, hey, in these 61 years, 16 times, you know, a quarter of the time the market depreciated, it didn't happen in this exact manner, but it kind of feels like, hey, once every four years, you're going to figure out, you're going to have to figure out how you're going to buy food. Uh, and that doesn't feel very that's extreme. <laughs> yeah. It, but that's what it feels like if you're mm-hmm. an investor, because especially if this stuff is foreign to you, um, you've taken your whole nest egg and you've placed it on this hope or belief that somehow you're going to be able to shave some level of profits from your portfolio every year to put food on the table. Again, I know that's an extreme view, but that is why a lot of people might keep like a big glut or surplus mm-hmm. of cash because they say cash is king. I know where I'm going to draw my money from. Right. And like we said in previous episodes, um, with the inflation, actually, you're losing buying power by keeping so much cash on hand. It's nice to have some as an emergency fund or something like that, but keeping too much just because um, psychologically it helps you, um, I guess, combat that volatility. Um, The dividend strategy has uh, some element that will help people kind of be more stable and have a, a better plan in place. And since we went to the extent to say, hey, look at these 61 years for the S&P 500 of stock prices, in those 61 years, we took from, I think it was 1960 to 2020. Um, now let's look, hey, how did the dividends behave? So we said that the stock prices moved negative 16 out of those 61 years. What about the dividends? If you just looked at the dividends year over year, um, and what your expectation, I, I would hope, would be that you'd get more income year over year, but six times out of that 61, so less than 10% of the time, the income decreased year over year. So that's not uh, preferred, but six times versus 16 times is more favorable. Now, if we went even deeper and we looked at those 16 times that the market went negative, there's high variation, right? We know in 2008 that the stock market went down nearly 38% on a year-to-year mark. Um, But we know years like uh, 1975 and 1995 where the market went up plus uh, 30% uh, in, a, in a single year. So we understand how uh, fanatic and frantic uh, that performance is. Well, we look at the dividends and we say, okay, what six times over the last 61 years did it go down? And let's dive even deeper. Only one of those times I would say is really significant. Mm-hmm. Um, 2009, the dividend was 22, 23% less than it was in 2008. Obviously, 2008 was catastrophic, right? Yeah. But those other five times, they didn't even break 4% change. So if you're getting $100,000 a year in dividends, and I'm saying that one year it went down 4%, that means that next year you got $96,000. You can make changes within your lifestyle to accommodate for 1%, 2 3 4% changes. So now we're saying in these 61 years, there was only one time where you really probably needed to dip into your reserves which opens another conversation on why we talked about the importance of having reserves Mm -hmm. because those moments do come by a a few times in your lifetime. And this is an interesting topic too because what is the dividend yield right now of the S&P? I'd say less than 2%. Less than 2%. Most people, when they are mapping out what their expenses will be compared to their nest egg, are looking for a higher return than 2%. So now this could be the argument for any index. You know, if you use one individual index, it's not fair to the index because you would own different ones. But that's one thing to keep in mind is when you're creating that income uh, formula and figuring out what you need, that's why you have to incorporate other asset classes as well. But today we're talking about stocks, so I'll keep it on that. Yeah, and the whole article, we're making this analogy of these siblings, and you might read it and you might think it's cute, it's funny, it makes sense, it's comical, it makes you laugh, but then you might ask, like, what does it actually mean? And, And kind of where I went from there, keeping on the analogy is saying, 
hey, if you have a flight out of John Wayne Airport tomorrow at 6 a.m., which sibling are you going to ask to give you a ride to the airport? The one that shows up all the time that's consistent or the one that's out late at parties, doesn't show up sometimes, you can't rely on them, right? Very true. I know who I'm going to ask to take me to the airport. Or, hey, uh, I moved houses uh, last year. That's a, a heavy undertaking. Mm-hmm. So you know what sibling you're going to ask to show up to help you uh, pack boxes and move. You, <laughs> if it's not siblings, you know what friends you're going to ask. Mm-hmm. So what do I mean by that? Reliability matters a lot. So if we've decided that stock prices and dividends, one of those two is reliable, choose your friends wisely. Well said. Yes, agreed. Is this going to be a shorter podcast? Is this I, all we have I, I to think say? So. I think so. It's a good topic. I like it. I like the comparison. So I'll wrap us up here and just say, hey, what you should really look at, that equation we talked about matters a lot. Your total return is that summation of your appreciation of the asset plus your income. What we can say is that the appreciation, very unpredictable. We don't know where it'll come from, when it'll come from. We understand it has a relationship to profit. So if profits are happening, appreciation usually follows. But we understand that income can be really consistent. In those 61 years we looked at, there was only one year that really stood out like a, like a sore, right? So since that matters, you should be looking at your own financial plan to say, uh, what does your financial plan de- depend on? Does it depend on stock prices or does it depend on dividends? And with that, I will let you think about it. We'll end this podcast. I'll ask you to rate the podcast. Five stars is preferred, but whatever you'd like to rate the podcast. Comments are always welcome. You can email us at tom at thebonsagroup.com. You can address that to Leslie, Sean, Trevor. We'd be happy to answer any of your questions. We'd be happy to take any topics that you'd like us to talk about. Uh, But most importantly, we will be back next week with more of our Thoughts on Money. The Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor before establishing a retirement plan.